How many of you got outside yesterday? It was freezing cold yesterday. I went out a couple times, and uh, it was Angie's birthday, um, her 50th birthday. Come on now, give a hand clap for Miss Angie. <clears throat> she doesn't like that it's her 50th birthday, but uh, I rejoice in that. I'm growing old with the one I love, amen? And uh, it's a good thing. How many of you are here for uh, Andrew Ironside's message? It's a good thing to grow old. You know, we tend to look at it as a bad thing. Uh, in, a, in a society that almost worships youth, and not almost, does for sure. You know, people spend billions of dollars on trying to stay young. You realize that? And in the kingdom of God, growing old is something to celebrate. You know, the Bible actually, when you think about death, when I die, I don't want people, you know, I hope they mourn me a little bit, but I want them to celebrate my life. I want them to celebrate my life because actually I didn't get taste death. Being in Christ, my death gets swallowed up by life. I will never know what death is because Christ died for me, see? And so there, there's a celebration in that. Do you know that the Bible says that, uh, that, uh, that to him it's a, a good and pleasant thing that when saints die, you know, he's pleased with saints who die in him. He rejoices over that. Why? Because then they get to be with him forevermore, just like he promised. They get to experience the promise. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints, is what the Bible says. Now, for us, it's like, man, I'm not like, you know, chasing that. I don't want to die too soon. But you need to understand how God looks at you when you come to Christ, is that he looks for that day when you're joined with him forevermore in heaven. No longer contending with this earthly body, no longer contending with the temptation and the, the bonds of sin where they try to grab a hold forevermore you're with the Lord and you put this shell if you will you put it off and forever you'll be with the Lord and not only will you be with him do you know the Bible says that you'll be like him and that you'll know as you are known we're being transformed and changed in the very likeness and the image of the son of God Jesus Christ we're being transformed and changed but as long as we're in this body we'll never achieve that you understand what I'm saying there? We'll never achieve the completion of that until we are with the Lord. Now, why do I share that? Because I think to truly live, one must look at their death, the death of this life. One must look at when you, you know, if you're going towards this end goal, you know, growing old, I'm 45, I'm closer to that side than I am this side. Amen? How many are you with me in here? Some of you are closer than I am. Some of you are pretty far away from that. You young people tend to think you're invincible. You don't have anything to worry, anything to fear. But let me tell you, life goes fast. Amen? Older folks in the... You know, it's like, I'm not acknowledging I'm an older folk. You know? We're all in this journey. We have this, this short life. I mean, you know, if you sign on, hey, I want to live at least 100 years. Who's signing on for that? God promises us how many years? Anyone? 70 years is what God promises us. Do you know that we're achieving, you know, with all the uh, health advancement, you know, with the practices that are out there and how we're able to advance in, 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 in uh, dealing with the sicknesses and the disease of bo our body, that we're advancing that, that people's average age is actually going beyond that. And I would say that that's a part of the promise of God because their ability comes from God. Their gifts come from God, amen? It's a part of God fulfilling his promise to us that we are promised 70 years, he establishes it so that we can live 
beyond that 70-year mark, if you will. Well, here's kind of where I've signed on to. When I start gumming my food, I just want to go be with the Lord because steak's not on the menu anymore. You know what I'm saying? Point being is, is that even if you live for 100 years, if you ever take that and you lay it side by side with eternity, you can't even comprehend eternity. There is no comparison for that. It's like if you went out here and grabbed a teeny little pebble and you looked over at Pike's Peak and you hold that little pebble and you look out there at Pike's Peak and you see this massive rock that it, uh, 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 ascends into the skies and you hold that tiny pebble, that tiny pebble next to Pike's Peak still doesn't touch what your life is compared to eternity. Come on. So when you understand that, you got to ask yourself the question, what are you living life for? Anybody ever been in a, a state of confusion, uncertain about where they're going in life? None of you. Man, we got a congregation that's really just settled on that. You ever ask yourself the question, where's your relationship with God and how's it going? You ever looked at it and said, it's going pretty good right now? You know, six months later, you're like, it's not going good right now? See, I believe that there's something about vision that plays into how we live our life. How we see things. How we perceive things. Vision has everything to do with the steps that we're taking. This is why the Bible says that the Word of God, say the Word of God, is a lamp unto my feet, and it's a light unto my path. I know that I've worn this passage out over the years, but for good reason. People lose direction when their path is not lit. People lose direction when their steps are not lit. The only way to light your steps for eternal purpose is through the Word of God. You can't see clearly. You can't have right vision. You can't have right perspective without the Word of God being first and foremost in your life, allowing it to be what guides each step and causes you to see where you're going, that path that you're on. The Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It illuminates every step I take, one by one, those steps that I'm taking, and looking up to see where am I going with my life. When I look at my family and I think, where am I going with my family? I go all the way back to nine years old, and I've shared my testimony so many times in this congregation about how when I was nine years old, going through abuse, being beat, it was on a day I was beat like the redheaded stepchild I was. I know that you might not think that's funny, but it's funny for me looking back that I survived it. By the grace of God, he brought me through that. And at nine years old, I'm making a promise to God that I don't even know that, that he's in control then. He's the one that is inspiring me to make the promise to him. He's the one moving. No man comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws them. And when God was drawing me at nine years old, and I'm declaring and making a promise of my life to him, look, Jesus gave his life and sacrificed his life for us, so it doesn't cost me anything. But i got to at least turn myself over to that. i got to give myself over to that. See, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet it's not I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. So there is something that I do to experience the life that Christ died on the cross to provide for me. He's the one that's got to live my life. There comes the challenge for us. 
It's like, wait, this is my life. I'm not willing to give it up for anybody. Then you'll never live it. We're going to see a little bit about that today. You'll never truly live your life until you're willing to give it away. See? And so at nine years old, I'm giving my life away. I don't even really know what I'm saying. Do you think a nine-year-old knows that he's saying, God, if you give me a wife who will love me and never leave me through anything, I'll give you my life. Did I really understand? I mean, I'm looking at marriage at nine years old. What's wrong with me? Come on now. How many nine years old you know that are like, hey, I can't wait till I'm married one day? Right? The only thing a nine-year-old is normally concerned with is food, play, <laughs> you know, and friends, right? Maybe cuddling mom and dad, you know, where nobody else sees them cuddling mom and dad. It's like, don't tell anybody I'm cuddling you, you know. So mine did anyway. The girls didn't mind, but Wade's like, dad, don't tell anybody I cuddled you, you know. <laughs> oh, you're here. I'm sorry. Should have waited. <laughs> it just dawned on me. You were not back in the military right now. It's a lamp unto my feet and a light. God was speaking in me. It goes back to Sunday school. The importance of those things being shared with us at the earliest age, the word of God coming into our life. And what it began to do was light a step and show me a path. And I didn't, I may not have understood that at nine years old, but that's exactly what God was doing through his word. Is his word was beginning to light a step and show me a path for my life that looked much different than the one I was living. Come on now. And in that, step by step, looking up, step by step, looking up, God's word became more important at 19 when he called my name in the middle of Death Valley, California. Three times he called my name. First time I dismissed it as, as dozing off and going to sleep. Flesh. Fleshly response. Oh, it's just me. Second time, I thought I was losing my mind. Right? Mental response. Third time, I began to weep and realized who was speaking to me. And I said, God, and he reminded me at nine years old, Derek, you promised me your life. If I'd give you a woman who would love you and never leave it through anything, I've given you that woman. Now it's time for you to give me your life. And I just got engaged right before I went to NTC. And at that point, God began to give me greater perspective. I gave my life to Christ. And on that, that, on that day, I gave my life to Christ. Where it was, a, you know, it's nine years old is very different than 19 years old. And I gave my life to Christ. And in that moment, I realized something. God's word, if I was going to live for him, God's word was going to have to be first and foremost in my life. And if I didn't make his word first and foremost in my life, then I was never going to truly understand what it was that he saved me for. Come on now. See, I know he saved me, but what has he saved me for? See, I come to understand he saved me because of the word. So am I going to live this saved life without the word? I can't live my saved life without God's word guiding each step and showing me that path consistently. And I just posted on Facebook that on the 25th of December, we celebrated, uh, you know, Elijah uh, was celebrating his birthday today, but it, we kind of celebrated, I should say, because, you know, it's happy birthday, Elijah, you know. Um, and I, I remember posting on the day he was born that the dream that I had of being a husband and a father, and being a good one, hopefully I have been. They tell me I have been a pretty good one. Hopefully they're not lying to me. <laughs> now has multiplied into I want to be the best grandpa on the planet 
And I love that little boy, and he loves me, I know it. You know, we kind of have this bond already, it's really cool. There's nothing quite like it, see. One of the things I came to realize about the kingdom of God and having kids was this. See, the kingdom was all about us, and that's why God gave his son. The kingdom was all about, about us, and that's why Jesus gave his life for us. Come on now. When you have kids, you find out that your life is all about them, hopefully. And you begin to live your life for your children. And now I get to live my life for my grandchildren. And really just display the best I can what the kingdom of God has done for me, is doing in me, and hopefully will multiply in the life of those around me. Amen. So I shared all that to say this. That's really, in a nutshell, I can go back and I can look at, you know, from all the ministry and, and everything that, that we've done, that's what my life has really been all about. Growing up and, and being in an environment where there wasn't a lot of love, my life became about love. Growing up in an environment where it's about rules, and if you will, the, Christianity as a whole, it was kind of like the list of rules and, and religion, and you do this, and you do this, and you do this, and you do this, and you do this. It wasn't as much about relationship. And where it turned, because we went to church, and if I fell asleep at, at, you know, eight to, you know, whatever, young, um, when I got home, I got the belt for falling asleep as a little kid in the main service. You see how that's religion. And those lists of rules and do's and don'ts is not what Jesus came and died on the cross for. He fulfilled the law. And it's not that he abolished it for us, but he fulfilled it. So that when we yield to him in relationship, he begins to live in us and through us. And we find that it's not this drudgery of i got to keep these rules. It's a, I want to pursue Christ. And as a result of pursuing Christ, he lives life through me. See, to me, that's vision. That's vision. And without it, the Bible says, without vision, the people perish. I want to read to you out of Proverbs 29 and verse 18, and I'm going to share with you today the necessities of vision. There's some necessities of vision that we need to, to grasp. But Proverbs 29, 18 says this, Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. King James says that they perish. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Can you keep the law? Can you have a relationship with Jesus? Did he keep the law? And can he live through you and bring about God's will for your life where you're honoring God with your life, not out of the do's and don'ts, but out of simple relationship with Christ? By his grace, you can live for him. I'm going to give you the definition of vision. Vision is the faculty or state of being able to see. The Hebrew word for vision is hazan. Used in the Old Testament, it designates the vision of a prophet. The familiar, where there is no vision, King James Version, may be misleading. The word vision is the revelation, hazan, of a prophet that a prophet receives. So, it is not just seen, it is what he has heard from God and therefore sees. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God right? And, and, and what is it? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the way. When you hear the word of God, 
and he speaks something to your heart, let me say, through his word, now the Holy Spirit can quicken something or speak to you and give you a revelation, but you always want to ask the question, where's this in the word of God? How does this line up with the word of God? And when you have something that lines up with the word of God, guess what? All of a sudden you begin to see it. Do you think, even though as, at nine years old, when I'm saying something like that to God, and I don't realize everything that I'm promising to God, do you think that God knew what I was promising to him? Do you think God was all about fulfilling that in my life? If I'm willing to yield my life over to him and let him work in it. God, if you give me a wife who will love me and never leave me through anything, I will give you my life. God gives me that for his glory, not for my own. Come on now. And, and, and what we have in our relationship and what we have in our family and what we have among our friends and so on and so forth is the outworking of God in our life. And we give him all the glory for that. It's like, but pastor, don't you make decisions and, and don't you? Absolutely. But God's word becomes my guide. See, I have a vision. The overall vision of my life is this. that The very desire that I want, I will only have when I'm willing to yield to the word of God. Because Angie's given me a whole lot of reasons not to love her. She's, you know, I've given her a whole lot of reasons not to love me at times. Y'all look at me so innocent, I know you're not. We've all given folks reason not to love us, right? But the amazing thing is where, where agape love is present, by the way, is, is God's vision for us. And he works that out in us as long as we're willing to yield to him. The decisions I make, uh, they are where but for the grace of God go we, right? Only by the grace of God. And I look at so many times in our life where the grace of God has worked. I go back to that time in Ohio before we ever came out here to be pastors of this church. And, and I was in the, the, the worst funk of my life, is what we call it. Angie says I grew horns. If you don't know what that means, that means she thought I was a devil. For those that don't get that, a demon. Get what I'm saying there, you know. I come walking in the house, I'm always angry, I'm always mad, so on and so forth, and, and, uh, but that woman would pray. There was times I would be at work, I would be on a bridge deck, and I'm tying uh, steel rods, and I'm, I'm tying, and I'd just start crying out of nowhere. I would feel God just like, like on me, and I didn't like it. Let me say this, when you, when you want to go a different way, come on now, I don't want to go God's way. I'm just going to go this way because I'm ticked off at people. I'm tired of people, and I don't want anything to do with them anymore. I just want to be me, and I want to soak in my message. Come on. And I remember going across this bridge deck, and I'm tying rods, and I'm just bawling. And I'm not, I'm just like tears streaming. And I couldn't stop, and it's just like uncontrollable. And this laborer comes up, he goes, what's the matter with you, you big crybaby? And I'm like, <laughs> and I just <laughs> knocked him out and kept on tying rods. That's horrible, isn't it? That's, that's how messed up I was when she says she, <laughs> he grew horns. I probably did. But God was not done with me. See, the thing about vision is that there's something about the things you say to God when you're in a right state when you're a right frame of mind and a right frame of heart and you speak out to him as his child you've been born again saved by the grace of his son when you cry that thing out and you declare it before him he who has begun a good work in you will perform it he's faithful to you even when you're not faithful 
And in that moment, I, I, there just wasn't faithfulness. And I, you know, I knock that guy out and I keep tying and the, 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 the superintendent comes up like, hey, what are you doing? And I turn around, eyes all puffed, tears coming. Well, I'm sorry, I just, you know, he's like, just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> huh. I remember it wasn't but a couple months later. And I would actually come home and tell her, would you stop praying for me? It's kind of embarrassing to be on a job site with a bunch of brawny men working in you, crying all the time. Just stop praying for me. And she wouldn't. And I remember the day I'm hanging off of a seven-story shear wall. It was an elevator shaft that was, we're building. Hanging on that thing ready to plunge to my death. Pulling my hook back. Ready to drop to my death. I had lost vision. I didn't see clearly anymore. Didn't know what I wanted to do. I was in a state of confusion. You know? Go to church. Angie's like, go to church. Please go to church with me. So we go to church. I'd sit down with her. Somebody would walk up and go, are you a pastor? And I'm like, oh, see, I'm so out of here right now. Every church we went to, right? She gets me to go to another church, and she, you know what she's praying then? Please, God, don't let anybody come up to him and ask him if he's a pastor. One Easter Sunday. Without vision, people perish. I was perishing. She still had vision. She still had a relationship with God. She was hanging on for her dear life and for her kids' lives. And I love my kids and I love my wife, but at the same time, I was a mess. <laughs> I didn't know. And I'll never forget. I'll never forget. Like, can we go to church on Easter? And I'm like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I know right now you're thinking, gosh, this is our pastor. <laughs> That was then. This is now, you know. And that's the beauty of the gospel, man. It doesn't matter where you are. God can get you <laughs> where he wants you to be and where you really, truly desire to be. I'll never forget. We went to church that Easter. And that was a turning point for me. The pastor preached on Jonah running from his calling and so on. And I'm listening. And I'm just like, why did I come to church today? I don't want to hear this. I've heard it a million times, blah, blah, blah. But there was a point where my heart opened. The word of God, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And see, there was a moment where God somehow broke through all that hardness, broke through all the, all the junk. And he spoke into my heart and he said, that's you. And I want you to come back to me. I know you talk to me. I know you love me. But you're loving me from a distance. You're following me from afar because you're scared of being hurt. You're afraid of what the cost is going to be. And whatever it is, it'll never compare to what my son did for you. So won't you give me your life the way you promised me when you were nine years old? And I'm, I'm hearing the Lord speak this to my heart. It was just that, that simple. And then all of a sudden the pastor goes, do we have any Jonas in the room? And I went. And he's... <laughs> He's preaching away, and he's like, uh, um, we'll pray for you, you know, and then he keeps on preaching. <laughs> There's nothing worse for a pastor when he asks a question. Somebody answered like, oh, well, I wasn't planning on that, you know. <laughs> Throws you off a little. But that day was a turning point for me. It did something to me. What it did is it opened my eyes to God's vision for my life and one that I uh, honestly wanted for my life as much as he did as much as he did 
I'm going to read this to you again. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. Listen to this. Uh, if you will, uh, it's not just seen, it's heard from God and therefore sees. Definition of necessity, the fact of being necessary or indispensable, an imperative requirement or need for something. Andy Stanley said this, everybody ends up somewhere in life. This statement leaves us with this question, where will we end up? And if you were to ask yourself, where will I end up at the end of my life? I want to say to you, you'll end up exactly where your steps take you. You'll end up exactly where you see yourself going. And that's why it's important to let the Word of God light every step and illuminate your path. Because if you want to end up where God called you to be, you want to end up where God desires you to be, and you want to end up in the best place for your life, look, He's going to take you to the best place for your life. You want to end up there? you got to let the Word of God be your guide. Amen? So we need a vision that is clear and compelling if we are to complete the race God has set before us. We need to understand then the necessities of vision. One, uh, of a, a, a vision that is clear. Of a vision that is clear. Two, that is compelling. And three, that counts the cost to complete it. One, the vision reveals a clear course. Vision reveals a clear course. Luke 9, 23 through 27 says, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes into his own glory and in his Father's and the holy angels. Jesus doesn't mince words here, does he? And we declare having a relationship with him. We understand then when he comes to this point that there's something about if we lose track, if we lose track of his words and we begin to life, live life for our own selfish desires, what happens is, is it deviates from that path that's lit uh, steps that's lit and the path that's lit so that we end up where God's called us and oh by the way I guarantee God is working he is working and 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 doing in our life for our better than anybody else including ourselves. see I could say that the decision I make for myself uh, that they're the best things for me but the reality is is the things that God declares in his words they are the best things for me and if I live those out, what happens is, is that my life begins to be orchestrated. It's not, by the way, it's like, well, that's a straight and narrow path. Anybody feel like their path is straight and narrow? Do you know that God will actually allow you to do certain things or go certain ways? Do you do that with your own kids, raising your kids? Like, oh, this, man, I've told them and told them and told them. I'm going to have to let them make that decision and learn the hard way. Anybody ever taught your kids the hard way? Angie taught our kids the hard way right from the very beginning. She turns the stove on, warms the stove top up, just to where she hates when I tell this story. Sounds like she's a horrible mother, but she's not. She's a phenomenal mother. Just where it's warm, and she touches her hand to it right where it's warm. And they're like, whoa. You know, she goes, yeah, no touch, no touch. You know, the kids never touch the stove. They never burnt themselves because of that. 
You know, there's an aspect of how we train, and then there are things that we tried to show our kids, and they didn't listen. Come on now. And when they don't listen, then something happens, and we tend to say, it's not good to say, I told you so, but how many of you have said to your kids, I told you that's what was going to happen, right? Now, you ever pick up the Bible, and you open it up, and it's like God saying, I told you that was what's going to happen. The Word of God is good for instruction. That's that warm the stove up, touch your hand to it. God's trying to instruct us by His Word, right? It's good for correction, and it's good for reproof. <laughs> there, there's, opening, there's two of them in there. Correction and reproof are kind of like, I told you that's what would happen if you went that way. God even, all through the Word of God, He says this, you do this and I'll do this. Come on now. It's like, but that's conditional, the blessings of God tend to have some condition tied to it. The love of God has zero condition tied to it. That's why he sent his son to die on the cross for us. Come on now. <clears throat> Vision reveals a clear course. God has given us a clear course. You want to know what it is? How many of you want to know what it is? Say, I'd like to be clear, you know, so that in times of confusion I can still be clear. Anybody? Raise your hand if that's you. Right? Follow Jesus. Real complicated one. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but this and this problem, I understand. And you'll, you know what? Those things are going to be there. But keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, and he will, he will both finish what he has authored for your life. You ever read a book? There's the author. If you, if you read the first chapter, you get some understanding about it. But if you don't finish the book, you don't really understand what the author was trying to say, right? That's what the Bible really is. The author and the finisher of your faith. If you want to see faith finished for your life, if you want to get to the finish line, you've got to read the book. You've got to come back and see what the author has declared for your life, the promises of God that are yes and amen for you. The second thing is vision compels us to commit. It compels us to commit. When you have vision and you know that you know that you know that's what you want to live your life for, that's the hard place to get to. Could you say amen to that? If you can get back to the Word of God and understand that, it, that what it declares, if I'm going to live my life for it, then I'm going to have to commit to it. I, I'm compelled to commit to follow what God's Word says no matter how I feel, no matter what else is in front of me, I'm going to let the Word, when I feel like not doing this or doing that, I'm going to let the Word tell me what to do. Let it light my steps and illuminate my path and, and not to the left, don't look to the right, but keep my eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. It compels me to commit vision. Look, look at this now in this passage. Luke 9, 51 through 56. We're carrying on through that same passage. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. He knew where he was going. He was, he, look, he was compelled to commit to go to the cross for all mankind. Do you know that there's a point where Peter's trying to talk him out of that? Last week I talked about as we go into this new year, part of what we want to focus on without question like we've never focused on before is to understand in our relationship with Jesus, he invites us to come to him. He is inviting he invites us into relationship. He invites us to his blessing. He invites us to salvation. He invites us to all those things. But he will always challenge us as well. He invites Peter in. Who do men say that I am? 
Some say you're this, some say, but thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood hasn't revealed this, but my Father. See, he heard and therefore had vision of who Jesus was. And if he was the Son of God and all the prophecies are right, he's going to have to go to the cross and die for the sins of mankind. A little bit later on in that same uh, passage of Scripture, he starts to talk about going to the cross. And then Peter's saying, you're not going to the cross. Far be it from you to go to the cross. And then Jesus goes, you know, get away from me. You're not mindful of the things of God. Am I the son of Jonah who's blessed and know that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God? Or am I the one that's, if you will, of the devil and not mindful of the things of God? Which one is it? Both. It's the same for all of us. There are times where we are walking and living in those things of God where Jesus, blessed are you. And then there's times He challenges us and says, this is not of my Father. We pick up the words, it's times of instruction and the times of correction and reproof. We've got to allow the Word to have its perfect work in our life. And to do that, we've got to allow all of those things to take place. Amen? That's what Jesus does right here. Now watch and see how that comes, where he's inviting and he's challenging. That time, he sends them ahead of him. He's inviting them to be a part of the work that he's doing. But they did not, so the Samaritans did not receive him because of his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his, uh, his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Vision compels us to commit to what Jesus wants, not what we want. Listen to this. He says, but he turned and rebuked them. This is that, if you will, that uh, reproof. He rebuked them, and he said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Listen, there's no better way to thank God for your sight than by giving it a helping hand to someone in the dark. And say that again. There's no better way to thank God for your sight. Your ability to see what he's doing in your life. There's no better way to thank him. By extending a helping hand. To someone that's in the dark. That's what he was saying to him. I came to extend a helping hand. I came as light in the midst of darkness. I came to bring salvation. Not condemnation. Helen Keller's the one that made that statement. Everybody know who Helen Keller was? The third thing, finishing up. Vision counts the cost of completion. Vision counts the cost of completion. Luke 9, 57 through 62, it carries on. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father and this is where it gets real folks jesus said to him let the dead bury their own dead but you go and preach the kingdom of god paul's right there for a minute how many of you would be offended if someone said that to you show hands honestly would it offend you if someone said that about your dad yes it would jesus dropped that line for a very specific purpose here's a this guy's saying, hey, I want to go, and I want to follow you, whatever you do, I want to do. But let me go bury my father. Well, let the dead bury the dead. Look, your dad's gone. There, there's nothing there. Yeah. 
See, I can tell you by the looks I'm getting right now, Pastor, I, you know, I don't like that passage of Scripture. That's where we're challenged, right? Invited challenge. Jesus is going about. He's healing all who are sick and oppressed of the devil. This disciple sees that and says, I want to go wherever you go. I want to be with you, Jesus. Let me go bury my daddy. Let the dead bury the dead and come and preach. You go preach the kingdom of God. It gets real in that moment. Jesus is trying to say here is pretty simple. <laughs> Count the cost. Count the cost of completion. Another also said, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are of my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back, back is fit for the kingdom of God. These are some hard statements that Jesus is saying. And the number one thing he's trying to outline for the people following him is this. Everything in this life is temporary and it will not last you go back to the very first statement, and he's talking about picking up your cross, following him, counting the cost. And he gets to the end of this, and what he's laying out for him, he's just saying, look, everything else around you pales in comparison of importance next to the kingdom of God. See, if I was to tell you, and next week you're going to find out a little bit more, but if I was to tell you seven, right, seven out of ten people in Colorado Springs don't go to church, nothing to do with church, not saved, don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So three out of ten are. You're one of that three out of ten. Let me ask you what would be most important to Jesus where his disciples are concerned. Anyone? The fact that this is all winding down <laughs> to whatever point when it's all said and done, who out there do we know that needs Christ? And how important is it for us to have vision to see, to understand how to relate Christ to them so that they come to know the Lord? A true vision will always live beyond an individual, meaning it's got to be bigger than me. At nine, I'm declaring a vision that's for my wife, my kids, and so on. Does that make sense? And I get to experience that, and it's a blessing. And little did I know, you know, the Bible talks about that a man doesn't rule in the house of God unless his own house is in order. I didn't even know that what I was talking about is the chaos and the dysfunction of what I grew up through. So set me against it. I just don't want to live that way. I don't live, if you will, going to church, and it's this legalistic approach to God that a person could take communion and, and, and one of the most sacred uh, aspects of, of church life is recognizing the body and the blood of Christ. And they've been in church all their life. And they serve communion and drop a, a communion cup and spill the, the, the juice on the floor and, and all of a sudden take God's in, name in vain right in that moment. And I remember seeing that and it's like scratch your head moment like is it real or is it religious? Because religion won't save you. A relationship with Jesus Christ will save you. You see, vision lives beyond you. Jesus' vision for us lived beyond his death on the cross. That's why he's alive. We pick up our cross and follow him. Deny ourselves. If, if we're willing to do that, then we'll truly live. If we're willing to give our life, then we'll live. 
But what does it profit a man? As I read earlier, what does it profit us if we live our life for ourselves and never for someone else? We gain everything else in this life and then we're perishing where the things of the kingdom are concerned. We're walking by dead people every single day. Declaring that we have life on the inside of us. Walking by dead people with life on the inside and keeping it to ourselves rather than sharing it with them. And I say when we get to the moment of where we keep what God is doing in us to ourselves and we don't share it with somebody else, we've lost vision. We don't have a vision. We've lost it. And then that, that's why it's so easy to shift into just keeping rules rather than it being light. Come on now. Things to do rather than something to live for. Where it's clear. And I get it. And when I see that person. <laughs> see, what I would say is I'm sitting in a steam room this week. And the guy begins to just out of nowhere. And that's just the way it is when you say, God, use me. Uh, give me an opportunity to share with somebody. And the guy starts to pour his heart out you know his dad died his his uh his girl his baby girl 14 years old i'd say baby i know that's not a baby but you get me 14 years old he's got a brain tumor he's sitting there and in a sense dying and looking for life and I, i'm sitting there hearing this and i'm not living through anything like that come on now Life's going pretty good. My heart's just gripped with compassion for him, but I'm like sitting there praying under my breath. God, I have no idea what to say to him. Just please, you know, by your spirit, would you speak to me something to say to him that would be encouraging, that would lift him up? Because here's how the conversation continued. People say there's a God. There's no God. If there's a God, then that wouldn't be happening. It's always that way. When they're hurting and they're going through hard times, they're dying. And what happens is, is they're blind to where life really is. And that's what the Bible says, Satan hath blinded the minds. He's blinded them. And God's given us this opportunity, see, if we have vision and we see clearly, then what we can do is help somebody who's in the dark and help them out of that dark place into the light. I said to him, I said, you know, I could understand why you're angry at God. He goes, well, I, you know, what I mean is, is like, you know, he's nowhere to be found. I went, yeah. I said, um, let me ask you, where are you looking for him? Where are you looking for him? What do you mean? I'm like, because, I mean, are you looking for him in the midst of your daughter's sickness? Are you looking for him in the midst of your, the loss of your father? So, well, I don't, I don't know. And I said, I understand why those things cause you to question God. But you won't find God there. What, what do you mean? I said, see, <laughs> death has nothing to do with God. Even when his son died, death couldn't cling to him. He's alive. 
And that's exactly what the angel said to Mary when she comes to basically embalm him. She comes looking for Jesus, and what does the angel declare? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Have you ever heard that before? He goes, no. I said, you won't find God in death. You'll find him in life. Can I pray with you? He's like, well, he gulps. By the way, that's the fear of the Lord. If you don't know what that is when you're sharing with somebody, and they're like, you know, all of a sudden they realize something about God. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And he goes, yeah. And I said, let me pray. Heavenly Father, you are life. You're the giver of life. So Lord, I pray that the compassion and the love that your son gives would comfort Bob in the midst of the loss of his father. And I pray your healing hand would touch his daughter. Just then I just went down through a few of those stories in the Bible that we read about where there was death and God touched and then life came. And then I talked with him a little bit more. Now, I'm not sharing that with you to say, hey, you got to do it that way. I'm saying that you got to live for more than yourself. Vision for yourself is not enough. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, show forth who Christ is. It doesn't show forth the salvation that you've been saved with. And when you live beyond yourself, what happens is, is you'll find that God takes care of those who take care of his kingdom. He said it this way, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and what? The rest will be added to you. That's what that's all about. Vision that is clearly understood and to which we are wholly committed takes a lot to complete, but the reward always, always outweighs the cost. Hebrews 12.2 says it this way, Looking unto Jesus, as we've said today, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Acts 26.19 says, uh, this is Paul's testimony, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He had a heavenly vision of what he was to do. He goes to, to, um, to uh, the Gentiles just like uh, God called him to, and Paul saw, let's just say, thousands upon thousands, and still to this day, we, re we read the words of Paul, and we as Gentiles have come to the Lord as a result of the words that the Holy Spirit inspired through the Word of God. Paul is still, he is still touching lives as a result of being faithful with his life to the vision, the heavenly vision that God gave him to Timothy 4, 7 through 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You see, that's that living now for then. Not just for the moment, but living. I'm living for eternity now. Not, not well, one day I'll be in eternity and I'll live for eternity. No, I want to live for eternity right now. Because it's the thing that keeps me set on that course. But God's word is the greatest guide of my life. If I'm in relationship with him, then the lives around me, I'll be a witness to them of what he has done in my own life and can do in theirs. Amen. Take a moment. I want you to do this on your paper.
take a moment. As you reflect on you know, where you've been, where you are, and maybe where you want to go, I want you to take a moment and write down what this has spoken to you about your vision and how it relates to his vision for your life. If you don't know, that's okay. Just write in there, I don't know. And then you might follow that up with a, God, will you show me? Just take a moment. I want you to, to leave here today with, with more than just words, but with a course of action. You know what? I'm going to take some action on this this year. Just take a moment as you do. And Laurel, would you come? Just begin to play. You can continue to write, but I want to share a few other things. And that is, next week, what we're going to do, you have some flyers laying on your seat. I want you to take those home with you, if you would. And what they do is they define our, our next steps, uh, what we call process, if you will. We're trying to simplify things. Here's what I realize. We tell you how to live and, and, and maybe things you ought to do, but I don't know that we show you as well as we can how to do that. And we want to focus this next year on more of the how-tos. How can we equip you to be witnesses to your friends? And then if you do get invite them to church, how can we have a simple process for them that's not complex and it's so difficult with the busyness of life that we all have, raising kids, sports, everything else that goes on. How can we simplify that process so people can be a part of uh, you know, their local church and a part of their community and the vision of, of everything work together for the benefit of, of everyone in the community? And so we, we've got a much simpler process. If you take that home and you read through it, um, that, that'll help you to know kind of where we're going next week. And that is uh, every new person that comes, we'll invite them to go through our guest welcome and then go through what we call starting point. Now, in the past, we had this stack of books about this thick that you went through. And who went through that course, Connect Classes? Raise your hand high if you went through Connect Classes. How many agree it was like drinking from the fire hose? <laughs> the nervous laughs in the house. It's great. It was great material, but it was a lot for, for people to, uh, to really assimilate and how does this all work. So this little booklet right here, um, you know, that's it. That's the assimilation process, and we'll, we'll take people through that. And, and basically, I can say next week, I'll talk uh, through this, and here's what it goes da- or boils down to, is uh, why, gate- why the name Gateway, why Gateway Church, our mission, our values, the I, w- the I Will Project, uh, getting connected, and then uh, staying connected, and then next steps, and that's it. And uh, it's a pretty simple process. It doesn't mean that it doesn't Im- it, it, it does involve um, all that the kingdom would call us to, but it makes it much simpler for people to get involved and be a part of what's going on here, and then hopefully in what we call our learning groups, our life groups, and then that uh, individual relationships uh, where you're in that, that small group of people where you can share your fears, your, your failures, your temptations. Your, you, know, you don't want to share that with the whole congregation, right? Nobody does. But you need some close friends to, to help you work out your salvation and to, uh, to grow in discipleship uh, where your relationship with God is concerned. So next week is going to be a, a fun time. Uh, we'll have the place set up like a banquet, and we're going to have a luncheon. Uh, right after we do the presentation, we'll have a luncheon, and we'll enjoy a meal together, and, and uh, we'll have just an open mic time for, for questions where you can ask questions about that process, things that might have uh, come to, to mind as we went through it. So... Um, if that's you, I definitely want to encourage you to, to be back uh, the n- next week. And uh, if you will, bring a friend. A great time. They, they get to go through it right then as well. Um, so as I close today, if you've written some of those things down, 
I want to say this to you. God has a call in your life. He has purpose for your life. And, uh, you know, that always ties to vision. I want to just uh, acknowledge a family that's here who uh, our church, members of our church, has supported for a number of years. I, how many years has it been, Karen? 22 years? And uh, to give you kind of a, a quick picture of that, uh, the Kegis, you know, your dad set out to go to Peru to translate the Bible with Wycliffe um, Bible translators, and, uh, and their family followed suit. Karen and Barry went over there, and of course their kids lived with them over there, and, and they've completed that work. The Bible was translated for Peru. How many tribes was that translated for, Karen? 46 completed. How many? Do you hear that? I mean, here's the thing. There was a vision. The Bible wasn't translated, you know, for Peru. And they went there with a vision, and they fulfilled that vision, and still fulfilling that vision, but uh, uh, it's on a course that really is hard to thwart. And uh, the follow-through of that, you know. Come up here. Come up here. I want to hear that out loud. <laughs> Share that. And in this year, there's been almost 200 starts. So we are on a trajectory to get the word of God to every single language in the world that still lacks it. Isn't that cool? Now, here's what I want to say. Um, Karen, did your dad did he feel like you know he was a great man and he could go do all these things, or did he realize that he was serving a great God and if he would make himself available? I want to say that that's the hard mission field. Not that America doesn't have its own hard aspect to it, but, you know, um, we're a blessed people. You know, it's very important to realize that all that blessing is not for us to just consume upon ourselves. We're meant to use that for the benefit of others. Amen. You know, I'll share another snippet. Uh, we have a family right in this congregation that's adopting a child from China. And we've been praying for quite a while. And good news has come through, and of course they're still waiting, but it, the ball's rolling, and uh, it looks like everything's going to come through. It's just a waiting game. And so we'll have a wonderful baby boy from China, right? And uh, I'm just saying, you know, don't short-sell yourself where God's call is concerned in your life. Don't short-sell yourself the impact that you can make just by being faithful in the little and let God take, you know, making you the ruler over much. Just be faithful with one step and then the next step and the next step. Don't, don't get ahead of yourself. Just be faithful with a little. Offer God your life. And I know it's, it's scary, right? Like, I don't know if I want to give him my life. What if, he, what if he calls me to India, you know? Well, hey, you know, Toshi will sit down with you and tell you all about India. <laughs> you know, guys, please just understand your life is greater than you make it out to be sometimes. You really have to see how God sees your life. Not how you look at it. Look at it how God looks at it. To do that right, you gotta be in his word so that it's his word causing you to see, not your words causing you to see. Amen?
Heavenly Father, we thank you. And Lord, I pray that over the next uh, three weeks, uh, Father, from the day uh, that, God, we're set on a course to, to investigate what vision means. God, for us as individuals, uh, us as a local church, uh, as children of the kingdom, God, what it means for our community, what it means for our uh, state, what it means for our country, what it means, Lord, for the world. Because that's exactly what you said. Go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded to do. We have a Jerusalem, we have a Judea, we have a Samaria, we have an uttermost, par- uttermost parts of the earth. So, Lord, help us to be faithful, uh, first in the little, uh, and just trust you, Lord, to take care of the rest. We love you, and uh, we praise your name. In uh, your son's name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.